When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about two teams that I think should be better than they are. They have very interesting talent. Maybe they're both on the rise. That's the Charlotte Hornets and the New Orleans Pelicans. Both of them had interesting games last night. Won a blowout win, won an overtime win. We're going to break both those games down, talk about those teams, their arc, and then we're going to compare more players like we did yesterday. Shangun or Paolo Bancaro, De'Aaron Fox or Jamal Murray, um and anthony edwards or tyrese maxi that one i'm very excited to hear what legs has to say all of that and more on today's show legs how you doing today i'm doing great man we had some entertaining games last night to watch including that boston charlotte game which we're going to get into which was one of the more entertaining and wild finishes you're going to see in a while um but i know you want to start somewhere else right we, we were hoping to get a better game out of out of sacramento and New Orleans, yeah. but uh, it turned into a one-sided show pretty quickly, but at least we get an opportunity to, to take a look at the Pelicans. Yeah, 100%. That's what this game really represented to me is getting to take a look at the Pelicans. But before we do, let me just tell everybody we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with promo code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. And yes, it was a blowout win for the Pelicans yesterday. 129-93 over the Kings. The Kings have been really hot. One of the hottest teams in the NBA. But the Pelicans have some big wins under their belt. They blew out the Dallas Mavericks. They blew out the Denver Nuggets. And now they blow out the Sacramento Kings. So they moved to 7-7. Seven and seven. What did you see from this game? And why were the Pelicans able to dominate it right from the opening tip? Yeah, I mean, this this thing got out of control pretty early. I believe the Pelicans made their first nine shots from the field. Uh, you know, so when you start a game like that, and, and a lot of them were either Zion Williamson dribble drive layup or Brandon Ingram with some mid-range. That pretty much was what they got early in this game. Um, Sacramento looked tired. They didn't put up a lot of resistance defensively. Um, but I, I'll give the Pelicans credit for how sharp they were at the start of the game, particularly Zion and his aggressiveness in the yeah. first half, he, he kind of still amazes me um, that he, you know, he has to get to his left hand, has to get there, whether it's going to be initially going left or if he goes right, it's got to be a spin back because you, you might never see Zion Williamson shoot the ball with his right hand at the rim ever. And yet he still gets there. And I think that's the sign of a, of a great player, an incredibly difficult matchup and cover. And that's kind of what this first quarter turned into. And the Kings were, were, kind of dig themselves out of an enormous hole the entire night. And eventually it just really escalated. And, you know, they were down almost 40 at one point uh, before losing by 30 plus. And they dominated the paint, which is something that they do. They just bludgeon you inside, um, you know, with their size. You're right. The second quarter was, was where Zion did all of his damage, just going to the left every single time, getting to the cup, made it look easy. I mean, it looks easy against a lot of players or, and against a lot of teams. But last night, 12 of 16, 
that's that's the easiest it can look. I mean, that's as close to going yeah. perfect as you can as a volume scorer. And then in the third quarter, Brandon Ingram put on a masterclass. I mean, he looked like prime Kevin Durant in the third quarter, getting to his spots wherever he wanted, took a bunch of threes and knocked them down. And I always love legs when a player gets a heat check and hits it and gets another one and gets and hits it. I think he had five heat checks yesterday in that third quarter. It was just like, I'm going to take a bad shot because I'm feeling it. And he kept hitting them. Um, when you have two players, Zion and Brandon Ingram, that both can dominate a quarter, you know, that puts you in a bind. To me, that's kind of what happened in this. They play great defense. They shut down the Kings fast break. But in the half court, you couldn't stop Zion one quarter. You couldn't stop Ingram another. This was a team that, with a pretty large sample size, maybe 40% of the season uh, played last year, was tied for first place in the Western Conference. Right. And then the injury, yep. and then the injuries set in, right? So you look at you look at you know, top-tier talent, and we're looking at these tandems or trios around the league. CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, man, you could do a lot worse than that. You give me those three guys, I'm gonna win a lot of games because you've got all bases covered. You saw it again last night. I mean, Zion's gonna dominate you in the paint with his fit, his efficiency. It's just, you know, incredible what he finishes around the basket. And, and the thing that amazes me is, you know, he's got this incredible athletic explosive ability. We've never quite seen a guy like weigh that much with that kind of vertical started back in the AAU circuit. He became a viral sensation with these videos and that you saw it at Duke and now you see it in the NBA, but that's not really to me what actually makes him special because Although he is definitely on the high end of, of, of in terms of athleticism in the NBA, there are a lot of guys that are super athletic in the NBA. What makes him special is ability to softly put the ball up on the glass from various angles against bigger guys. Like, you know, he's not the longest guy in the world. His arms aren't particularly long. But when he goes in there to finish, he stays in the air longer than the shot blockers do. So they start to come down and he's still got the ball. And then he just manipulates it around and puts all kinds of crazy English on it. It's so soft for a guy, you know, moving that powerfully and explosively. And that's what you saw last night. He he had just a series of runners getting to the yeah. rim. Now, some he got through that last line. It was basically an uncontested layup at the rim. But some of those are floaters. You know, he spins it uh, in a certain way when he's going at a weird angle. So he's just really a fascinating guy in his ability to beat you in the paint with this array of shot making, you know, all going to his left. And 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 then you got Ingram with these mid-range game at 6'11", can shoot over anybody at any time, good enough handle to get to his spot, good enough shooter to go up, and you think he's got a chance of, of making a shot against anybody from any area of the floor. And then McCollum is a combination of lead guard scorer. So, and he wasn't there last night. Obviously, he's hurt right now. But those three guys, Adam, I mean, they give you – a real chance at the top of the talent spectrum in the Western Conference. Just got to get these guys out there for an extended period yeah. of time. They've had a hard time doing that uh, the last couple of years in particular. I mean, they've hardly played together at all. I had it down here in my notes somewhere, how, how few games they've actually been on the court together. Let me see if I can find it. But, um, yeah, three games this year, ten last year. The, the, all three of those guys have been on the court. It's kind of crazy. Um, but real quick, I want to go back to Zion. Because you're right. It's the power. Everybody thinks he's going to dunk on me. He's going to dunk on me, right? So you're worried about that. And then he has the finesse game. So it's this weird mix of he can get to his spots for the finesse or he could power dunk on you. And it's so hard to take away both because you're almost playing positionally yeah. to be strong. And then you have to be, you know, light on your feet to kind of to take him away from that. Does he remind you of anyone? 
Is there anyone from your playing days that that comes close to that combination of power and finesse? I, I you know, normally I could come up with a good comparison for most players. I think he's a one-off. It's, yeah. it's just he is unique unto himself. You, we've never seen this particular um, package, right? Where, with this kind of power, this kind of athleticism, and that kind of touch in in a in a guy that's not that tall. That's what's kind yeah. of amazing. You know, I mean, I mean, there's some comparisons with size and athletic ability to Barkley, um, but Charles wasn't like jumping in the air and hanging and finishing shots, like getting in the guy's chest and hold the ball out and shooting these crazy floaters and runners over guys. It, you know, it was, it was right. different the way that he did it. So I think he's just a unique special talent. If the guy can stay out there for 70 games and give you a sustained run and be ready on April 15th, to 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 undertake the playoffs feeling good and healthy they're going to have a chance because he's the great eraser of mistakes you can you can have a series of bad possessions not play particularly well offensively and the guy is going to go out there and have these nights where he's so efficient that he cleans up all of that because he finishes everything at the rim uh, it's just really kind of amazing to watch I see the chat. I always like when the chat participates here saying Charles Barkley. Everybody's saying Charles Barkley. Blake Griffin's another guy he kind of reminds me of. Blake had some pretty good touch, but you're right that Zion's touch is in like the 95th percentile of all NBA players, guards, whatever. He just has this ability to float it up there. Um, you talked about Ingram and we talked about Zion. The CJ McCollum piece, let's put aside for, for a second here because I am curious to bring this all back to where do those three players fit together. Here's what's interesting to me about the Pelicans. They have good superstars and or good stars, Zion and Brandon Ingram, who have the talent to become superstars, but have not proven to be that yet. We all know that we have to see it on a bigger stage and we have to see it be more, more consistent throughout the course of the year. And there's real reasons to doubt why either of them can do that. But here's why I love this Pelicans team. They might have my favorite collection of role players in the NBA. Yeah. First of all, their, their wing depth is insane. They're playing oh, three of the last four games. They have started Herb Jones, uh, Dyson Daniels alongside Jonas Valanciunas. So that's a huge lineup. Big Val is a huge center. Zion's a huge power forward. Ingram, Daniels, and Herb Jones are e insanely long defensively. And then Dyson Daniels and Herb Jones are two of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. I don't know if there's a team that features two guys more focused on playing defense than those two guys. And the one game they didn't start together is the one game they lost to Minnesota. The other three... Blowout win against Dallas, blowout win against Denver, blowout win against Sacramento. I kind of look at that lineup and I go, I love teams that have a lot of length, that have a lot of wings, two stars and a bunch of length. That's a great recipe for me. I completely agree. And, and look, I'm, I'm going to, you know, say CJ McCollum is, you know, the borderline star player with what he's accomplished in his career, what he's capable of on a nightly basis. Biggest problem for them has been durability. That's yeah. that's if you want to if you want to like take take it to another level individually or as a team that we start to take seriously, you just you just got to be out there more consistently, and they just haven't been able to do it. Maybe they get some stretch this year where that's the case, but in getting to their role players, you're 100 right. They, they have a, I think the perfect collection of guys around them, um, guys that are going to play hard regardless of if if they yeah. get the ball or you you call their number. They don't need any of that. They yeah. run the floor. They close out. They get back in transition. They bang the offensive glass. You don't have to necessarily do anything to assimilate to them offensively, and they still bring it every night. Another guy you didn't even mention who had his first game last night, uh, Jose Alvarado, yeah. who is like the ultimate 
the ultimate irritant for opposing point guards. I mean, he gets under guys' skin because yeah. he's one of the few guys that's going to pick you up 75, 80 feet, turn you a bunch of times. You know, if you if at any point you're careless with the basketball, he's he's diving on it, deflecting it, doing anything he can. He's a crowd favorite. He got a standing ovation last night when he checked yeah. into the game. It was cool. Yeah, as a as a as a role playing backup point guard, because everybody can appreciate what he brings and he realized the importance of it. So you've got a number of guys who really have a lot of want to on the defensive end of the floor. Um, around three guys offensively that on any given night can get you anywhere from 70 to 90 points. Right. So you've got you've got everything checked off. I actually even think they're they're well coached. I'm a, I'm a fan of Willie Green. So everything's in place. It's just a matter of can you guys actually stay on the court for an extended period of time so we can see what it looks like with all three of you with this supporting cast right. that we both seem to like a lot. It's, it's so funny, but they're the opposite of most teams where you usually say, okay, we know what their stars are, but do they have the depth? Do they have the pieces that fit around it? You look at them, and my question is the stars. Like, I mean, yeah. I, Big, Val, Big Val's great. Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, we just talked about. You talked about Jose Alvarado. They got Jordan Hawkins, who we both love uh, as a young, incredible shooter with a, a quick trigger. They've got Najee Marshall, who's another just long wing who has a jumper, and Trey Murphy, who I really like, who's out right now. That's 10 guys. When you add the three stars and those guys, that's 10 guys that I trust all of them, you know, to be winning impact players. I don't know that there's – I don't know how many teams you could go through and say there's 10 guys, but the reason they're 7-7 seven and seven is, as you mentioned, it's so inconsistent what their stars do and when their stars play. Um, real quick, though, because I want to stay on this wings point. Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, Najee Marshall, Trey Murphy. Yeah. Can, can you play all four of those guys in a rotation? It, it, hard. And it, yeah. It's hard. And then you still have all the young guards, the Jordan Hawkins, the Jose Alvarado, and C.J. McCollum. So can you fit all of those guys into a healthy rotation? Very difficult to do that. All right? that that's a lot of dudes. Um, you, know, and you also have Matt Ryan is another guy we didn't mention. Who can that, flat dude, out, yeah. He can flat out stroke it. I mean, he's got a beautiful shot. And – yeah. You're going to try to want to get him some minutes. He's playing 23 minutes a game. Very difficult. But here's the thing. I think if you have the appropriate conversations with everybody and they just kind of buy into the collective and understand that on a given night, it might not be you know your night to get more minutes. But over the course of the season, it all plays out so that everybody plays enough to their liking. But it can't be every night. Very difficult right. to play that many guys. When you know Ingram as a wing is going to eat up 35 minutes, um, very difficult to find enough time for those guys. Each of them brings something a little bit different to the table. So it's nice for a coach to have that many buttons to push, but sometimes it's difficult uh, you know, to be able to push all the right ones on, on a given night because you do have so many options. So I just think it comes down to selflessness for those guys and understanding that you're very deep at the wing position with length, and some of those guys are shot makers, some aren't as much. So it comes down to maybe what you need that night. Do you need more of the defensive pressure, defensive presence, depending on who you're playing and you need some guys that can guard wings? Um, or is it a given night where, you know what, you're going to need shot making? Uh, and sometimes right. that even changes throughout the course of the game and how the game is playing out. And I think that's ultimately what Willie Green's going to have to decide for those guys. I see in the comments here, Andrew Fansworth is saying seven and seven because they've had the hardest schedule in the league. They've also had the second most home games in the in the NBA. So that is about to be tested here as they get ready to go out on the road. I'm kind of curious to see how they handle it. Um, 
Yeah, the wing thing, here's so they're starting Dyson Daniels at point guard. He's not a point guard, but they're effectively over these last handful of games playing him at point, and it's working with those big wins. But here's the thing I wonder. Nobody – you know how, legs there's a change to a team's roster, and it takes a couple games for the scout to get out and say, okay, what's the new-look version of this team doing, and how do you adjust? Dyson Daniels handles okay. Nobody's pressuring him in these games. Nobody – to me, I think that's the next adjustment of does this lineup work? Are you going to have to put back in a Jordan Hawkins as the point guard? Are you going to have to bring in Jose Alvarado as the start, starting point guard? I think the scout is quickly going to get out on the Pelicans of, hey, Dyson Daniels is good, but he's not a point. Pressure him full court and disrupt their offense. Yeah, and I think they had they do have the luxury, if that were to happen, they do have the luxury of having a couple guys in Ingram and Zion who are their high-volume shot takers, but they're also pretty good facilitators, right? So you could kind of run your offense earlier in the clock through those guys if Dyson yeah. Daniels is going to get pressure a little bit and he looks bothered by that because you're right, he's not. it's not natural to him to come down and run the show. That's not right. a natural thing for him. That's not what his strength is. But they do have, as their top guys, guys right. that you can give the ball at the elbow or the short post or, or let them come down and run ball screen and then play out of the traps, play out of the reds and, and get the ball moving. So I think ultimately, look, this isn't a high-pressure league uh, defensively. It's not. There are certain guys and certain teams that do it better. It's not prevalent throughout the league. So I think most nights Dyson Daniels is going to be able to operate with some level of comfort so that you're not too worried about it if you're Willie Green. Pelicans are in the eighth seed right now at seven and seven. What do you see? Do you see them rising? Do you see them staying where they're at? Um, is it too hard to predict because of how unpredictable Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are? Yeah, it's it's you know they have the talent level to you know if they all the if all three of those guys stayed healthy you got the talent level to be a top four team in the Western Conference because I think all of these teams, number one, have issues with health. They, in, in some cases, they're still like a work in progress with the guys that they've added. The Pelicans do have continuity, right? These guys have been together. Uh, yeah. So I think that they've got been the talent level to do it, right? They've been – even if it's just, <laughs> hey, you know, passing each other, walking out of the training room, they do know yeah. – they do – they are comfortable with each other. But – I, I think the talent level's there. I think their best basketball is going to come. Their schedule was pretty tough out of the gate, and they've had injuries. So they're definitely a team to, to kind of keep your eye on as they're going to start to climb up the standings in the West. Brandon Ingram, by the way, should be noted, was 5 of 5 from 3 last night, and he is taking a noticeable increase in three-point attempts. He's at 5.2 per 36 minutes. Last couple of years, he's been right around 4 or so. Um so that's kind of an interesting part of his game. He is, you mentioned earlier, a mid-range assassin, but there is a value not to taking away the mid-range, but from understanding where are some of the mid-rangers that you can extend to the three-point line. Is there one or two a game that you can convert while still being able to get into the mid-range and be a threat from there? So um, an increase there, I have to imagine, is, is intentional based on the numbers so far. Yeah, I think so. Look, you know, and, and I think you, you, you've seen it pretty much with a, a lot of these young wing scorers. They they don't have they don't take as many early in their career and they start to realize number one it's an accepted shot it's a shot that coaches want nobody bats an eye at the number of threes you take whether they're contested or not if you're the top guy as a scorer you have the freedom to do that and I think more and more guys start to understand you add a little step back you add the side step and now you can get off more shots um, on a given night from the dip from that distance because it's hard to try to constantly get to the middle area of the floor. There's very few guys that just have feasted off of that. Kawhi Leonard probably top of the list, right? 
DeMar DeRozan, like guys like that. Yep. That is hard work yep. to do that, making a bunch of 18-foot two-pointers with guys draped on you. So you get a little bit more space out there. So it, it, I think it saves your legs a little bit to be able to take that shot. But, you know, you've got to shoot it at a consistent rate or you're just hurting your team. And I think Brandon Ingram has worked on it. Yeah. They're such an interesting team, man. And they have, like I said, great role players, a great vet and CJ McCollum, um, Larry Nance Jr. We didn't even mention him. I think this, right. I wonder how much he's a part of the actual roster versus how much, you know, given how much wing depth they have. Um, but he's a, a good vet and a good person to have around. So they have all these pieces. And as you mentioned last year, right around Christmas, they were the number one seed and all the wheels came off, not in a small way, in a huge way. They go from one all the way out. Um, I'm curious to see if this team ever gets over the hump because they're so talented and they have so many of my favorite players. We barely even mentioned Trey Murphy, who's one of my favorite wings in all yeah. the NBA, who's out right now. But he'll be back, I think, sometime around the end of the month or, or there in December. Um, all right. By the way, the Pelicans have a rematch against uh, the Kings on Wednesday, which I love. I love these, like, when a team gets beat down and they have one day off and it's like, all right, let's come back and see what happens. So that's one of the games to look forward to. Let's, um, let's hit a break. On the other side, LaMelo Ball. And the Charlotte Hornets, another underperforming team. We'll talk about them and some of the key pieces on that roster on the other side, as well as looking at some of the matchups. Who would you build your team around? Anthony Edwards or Tyrese Maxey? That and a host of other questions we'll ask on the other side. But first, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings Parlays, everyone's got a shot at a bigger payday. You can bet on multiple games or on a single game with multiple bets for a bigger payout. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. You got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here. Next segment here, we're going to be looking at the Celtics and the Hornets. Uh, the game that went to overtime last night, really fun game. This was a collapse by the Boston Celtics. Charlotte had some great plays, but Boston could not hit a free throw, including Jason Tatum, who had a chance to clinch the game, but goes two of three from the foul line at the end. Legs, what did you see from this game? Man, you're right. The collapse is a great way to put it. There's just no way the Boston Celtics should be sitting here this morning waking up with a loss the way that they played that game, the lead that they had late. And it was a lot of things. The free throw shooting down the stretch and throughout the game hurt them dramatically. But also, you go back and there's several plays, any one of which go yeah. differently, right? The, the game's over. Tatum missed, Tatum missed two bunnies also. And the night when he was just yep. silly, 15-28-45 points, he had two absolute bunnies at the rim, two of the easiest shots he had all night that he did not convert. The end of regulation and overtime, that probably changed the outcome of the game. Uh, but give Charlotte credit because they're down nine late and inside of two minutes. And they just 
played out every possession. And if you want to go take all the games in the NBA played to this point in the season, you would have a hard time finding one player that was more entertaining or spectacular in any given game than LaMelo Ball was last night. And, and I encourage everybody, if you, have, if you have League Pass but you didn't see the game, go watch the condensed version so you can just fly yeah. through it because they'll capture all of LaMelo's stuff. Um, he, was, he was incredible. His handle, his deep shooting, some of the finishes he had at the rim uh, when you just had to have it. If any of those balls don't go in, you lose the game. They had to have every one of them. Mark Williams was tremendous yeah. for them, always in the right place at the right time, and his work on the offensive glass you know, helped them a lot. But Boston had the game in hand, and they just could not close the deal because they couldn't convert free throws, and they had some chippies in the lane that they couldn't get. And on the other end, it felt like the Hornets made every important shot they had to make over the last two minutes in overtime, and some of those were incredibly difficult shots. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah. This was a game, Legs, where I watched after the outcome was over, so I knew the final score. And this is one of those ones where you're watching and you're like, oh, hold on. How did the Celtics lose? You know, a minute to go. They're up eight. Like, you know, what's right. going on? Um, I want to talk about LaMelo, though. He's You're right. The condensed version is worth it because you're going to get all the highlight plays. Because there's highlight plays sprinkled in with, with plays that make you scratch your head a little bit. But the highlight plays, he's so creative. He plays basketball unlike anybody else in the NBA. I mean that. Like, there's some similarities about, you know, how he sets the table or this or that. But some of his finishes, like, he had a finish last night, one of the most important ones, where when you slow it down, it was actually a triple pump. He goes in the air and he fakes, comes down, fakes, comes down, and then finishes it. And you think, how on earth did this guy think to do that, let alone pull it off so effortlessly? He's so creative, Legs. I think he might be the most creative player in the NBA. I'd go with that. And I, you know, the play you're talking about would tied the game late. And yep. you're right. And, and honestly, I think you could have called a foul on that. Drew Holiday came over to right. help on that drive. Jalen Brown was chasing him from behind. It was really bad defense on the part of the Celtics because they're up two and they allow LaMelo Ball to catch. The, he basically shoved Jalen Brown in the chest a little bit and then back cut, caught the ball on the move at about the foul line. And he had an open path to the rim. And Drew Holiday tried to get over there. I thought there was some contact on that. That could have been a yeah. three-point play. But you know what I thought the most spectacular finish he had? There was a play earlier in the game where he crossed up Drew Holiday. And, and, and sometimes when guys fall on a cross-up, everybody, you know, obviously everybody freaks out. If you looked at it, like their feet got tangled, you know, you kind of stepped on Holiday's foot and made him fall at the exact time he was going behind his back to change direction. So it looked pretty spectacular. But then – he goes to his left, ball never touches his right hand, right? So he's got the ball in his left hand coming now from basically the top of the key. He goes down the edge of the lane on the left, takes the ball all the way fully extended out to his left side without his right hand ever touching it, and shoots basically a running hook shot with his left hand that kisses the glass off the top of the square and drops through. And he never yeah. had a doubt that that ball was going in. Um, so, yeah, the flair that he plays with, 
the 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 herky jerky motion to start stop stuff, and then yeah. he's and then you know on top of it, he's a guy that's capable of going off for five six made threes on any given yeah. night. He had another play last night that's you know one of the best passes you're going to see where he runs down a loose ball near half court and in one motion throws a behind the back pass, you know thirty feet in the air down under the rim. I think it was Mark Williams that caught it, laid it in. Um, he, he gives you your money's worth and. He's also a guy, look, he shoots a lot for a lead guard, but that's kind of the nature of the position now. But yeah. you are, if you want to watch them play, not only are you getting a highly effective player because he scores and makes other guys better, it's just so damn entertaining to watch him because <laughs> the stuff the stuff that he tries, yeah. the difficulty on the stuff he tries at him, it's like you can't conceive of attempting some of these things you know, in live action. And yet here he is pulling it off pretty seamlessly. So, Legs, I'm going to take this conversation in a, in a, a little bit of a tangent here because I'm so curious, and he's the perfect guy to, to exemplify this, this topic. He is such a product of his upbringing as a basketball player, which is to say, and we know a lot of their backstory, a lot of freedom, play really fast. You know, everything goes. You want to shoot from far, shoot from far. You want to throw behind the back pass, whatever you do, but we're going to play fast. And there's an enormous amount of creative freedom. And I think when people analyze basketball, people like you and I, I always hear this thing about AAU is terrible. It's ruining the game. It's this or that. And I think there's some truth to the problems of AAU. But one of the strengths of that style is it allows for creativity for the people that rise through it. And I look at both Lonzo Ball and LaMelo Ball and think they see the court as well as just about anyone in the NBA. And they try things that no one else would dare try, let alone think to try. And I think that's a product, one of the beneficial products of their very unique uh, training in basketball and the way they kind of rose through the, the ranks. And there's probably something to be learned from that. These guys are willing to break the mold. And as a result, they see the court unlike anyone else. Yeah, they play with, they have a self-assuredness and a certainty and a self-confidence they play with that for any athlete, it's hard to find. It's hard to get to that level of confidence. And that's how yeah. LaMelo Ball plays. You know, you, you know, you saw Lonzo coming out. You knew he had that weird shot. He released it from the opposite side of his head. And you're wondering, is he ever going to be able to be a you know, legitimate shooter in the NBA? And then he really worked on it early in his career. And he got it to where it looked much better. He All actually right. was shooting a pretty high rate from the three. Credible vision, great hands defensively, length. And I would always say when I would watch Lonzo Ball play is that, man, that is exactly the kind of point guard that I wish I could have played with because yeah. he exists on the court, Lonzo, for one reason, to make you look as good as possible as a teammate. Right. That's all yeah. the guy thinks about. Now, yeah. you bring LaMelo along, and it's all that plus this explosive scoring ability that Lonzo doesn't really have. Lonzo doesn't think the game like that. LaMelo does. Lonzo doesn't have that ability to string together shots off the dribble from deep the way LaMelo can when he gets it going. So they are. They're fun to watch. They do make guys better. And then in the case of LaMelo, man, you know, he can he can go off at any given time. You know, their team, you look at the, the, the up and down the roster, this isn't a 4-9 and nine team. They should not be 4-9. and nine. Um, Just looking at the individual parts and, yeah. and how they fit together, they, they should be better than that. And I'm curious to see, like, when will LaMelo Ball be on a team that is, like, relevant in terms of the, the, you know, the hierarchy in the NBA? I would love to see him in a playoff series that really mattered because you could see a guy playing with the ultimate pressure of a playoff series 
and still doing the same things that he's doing in the regular season because he doesn't have the filter, the ability to shut it down. He only knows one way. I see yeah. an opening. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to make something out of that every single time. And I would love to see that flair in the highest stakes basketball. Well, one of the guys we could talk about a couple of guys that maybe are starting to join him to, to make a core because they are one of these teams who traditionally has not done the full rebuild. They've always had these vets on the roster and kind of been one foot in, one foot out. But they have a couple pieces here. The first one I like is Mark Williams. I mean, talk, talk about a guy who kind of knows his role and what he's supposed to do. Last night, 18 points, 16 rebounds, three block shots, goes 8 of 14. And that shot you're talking about Tatum missing at the rim, Williams might have blocked it from behind. I'm not sure. Um, but he made a lot of winning plays last night in the clutch. What do you see from him? He is he's becoming one of my favorite bigs in the league, man. He's so active. He catches everything. He's got great timing on his cuts. Because think about LaMelo Ball. When you play with a guy like that, the late cut and the late find, because LaMelo will hang in the air forever when he, on a drive if he doesn't have right. a, like a decent shot to get off. And he'll throw these, these these crazy bounce pocket passes and lobs. And Mark Williams is always in the right place to receive those. So his timing on those plays where he could finish is elite. He had eight offensive rebounds last night. He's averaging four and a half offensive rebounds a game, which is incredible. And second in the league, I was, I was like, well, and I didn't realize this till last night because I was watching him and I saw his numbers last night with eight offensive boards. And I'm like, Oh man, he's got to be like leading the league in offensive rebounding. And, and Mitchell Robinson actually is 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 the only guy yeah. in the league getting more offensive rebounds than Mark Williams. Right. Um, he's like the perfect, the perfect center for what they need. With a lot of guys that want to get shots up. You know, you got not only Lamella Ball, Rozier likes to get shots up. Bridges is going to shoot the ball a lot. Gordon Hayward is going to shoot the ball a lot. PJ Washington likes to get him up. So you need a center that's willing to just, you know, screen dive, screen dive, cut slash play off of LaMelo Ball on his penetration. I think they found the perfect guy for that, man. His rebounding numbers are better uh, in the NBA than they were when he was at Duke, which is really impressive. Um, and he's he's be quickly becoming – he's 21 years old, man. He's been quickly becoming one of my favorite bigs to watch. And I do think he fits with LaMelo. So what you're talking about is a guy that dives, he can play the lob threat, he can play the dunker spot threat, but that gravity on offensive rebounds is huge because you're so worried about LaMelo ball and his cutting and his driving and all these different things that you have to step up. And even if you play in between nicely and force LaMelo into a tough shot, you have to go from that to boxing out this monster and it just creates so much gravity. So I, if I'm saying, all right, we're building the Pelicans roster, I feel like we have two in. We got LaMelo, we got Mark Williams. We got a foundation here. The third guy then becomes their latest dra draft pick and Brandon Miller. He plays 40 minutes last night, only goes for 9.7 rebounds, four assists, two steals, one block, but he hit a huge three in the corner, I believe in overtime. Um, what have you seen from him? And, and is he a guy that you think, okay, that's a third piece? It's, it's so early for him, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Mm. Like looking at Bancaro, I'm sure. Like I'm sure what that guy's career is going to look right. like. Not sure yet about Brandon Miller. Um, he is a little bit loose with the ball, and he's got to tighten that up. The, the comparison that a lot of people made when he was coming out was Paul George. I mean, and this is like draft-related right. stuff, draft night. We're always trying to find that comparison so people at home that don't know that <laughs> right. much about the player can kind of visualize, yeah. oh, Paul George, like, that, that would be nice. Right. You're like, yeah, yeah but he's going to get 
He's got to infinitely tighten up his handle and his mid-range game. Paul George is a phenomenal mid-range player. He's he's not great at that. He's not he's shooting, I think, 26% from the three. But look, that I don't judge anybody based on that this early in their career because the line, that adjustment from the college line to the pro line is pretty massive. Um, and everything feels a little bit rushed. It's just it's just hard. But his rebounding numbers aren't great for his position and his length. I think he's a little bit weak with the ball. Like he can be knocked off the ball a little bit. So it, look, it, it's it's way too soon. You know, the jury is definitely out, but it's not like I'm watching Brandon Miller every night saying, absolutely can't miss. This guy's gonna be an all-star in three or four years or all-star caliber talent in three or four years. I am not sure about that. What would you what does he need to be to be that guy? If we think we're just building a roster here, Lamelo is your cornerstone piece, and we like Mark Williams as like the center. What what is what is the right slasher look like here what are the skill sets he's got it well he's got it first of all he's got to be he's got to improve his catch and shoots because if you're playing with Lamelo yeah. ball and the amount yeah. of 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 attraction that he gets in the lane with weak side defenders you've got to be you've got to be much more consistent from deep and that's part of that strength part of that's rhythm and timing and you're released because it's a deeper line he's got to improve that first of all because now you can be that bailout guy as a wing that at any point the ball is going to come to you because Lomelo will find you, and you got to step into that. And I just think he's got to be better where they with his handle where that because Lomelo ball will give it up early coming up the yeah. floor. He'll throw it ahead, and that's fine. Gordon Hayward is an accomplished ball screen player. Rozier is. It's fine when those guys get it. I think Miller isn't really close to that level right now with knowing that you're going to get something good by throwing it ahead to him, and he could just quickly call over. Williams or somebody like that and immediately get into some action and get something good. He's he's got he's got a lot of growth. The learning curve is going to be huge for him. He's so young. These guys all are when they come out, they're high picks. So you you know, not certainly passing any judgment on him yet. You know, but I gotta see a lot more. And I think year two, year three, you're gonna to start to understand a lot better. He's got to get stronger too. He's just got to add more more uh, mass to his frame so that he yeah. can handle the ball against the guy on your on his sh- shoulder or hip when he's driving downhill and not lose balance and get something good um, going up toward the rim or a stop uh, and shoot a mid-range jumper. He's 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 a little bit weak for that right now. Yeah, I both Lamelo and Lonzo. The quicker the game, the better they are because, and this is true of Jokic. I, I always say this is true of Jokic as well in that. His brain is faster than yours, even if your body is faster than his. So the more you could speed up decision-making, the advantage goes into the people who think fast. LaMelo thinks really fast. So when you say he gives up the ball, the the ability to speed up, the way that the um, the Kings play with pace in the half court, where it's like, okay, pass, yeah. the guy catches the ball and attacks, and then passes, and then they attack, and it's just constant attacks. And now you have, the defense has to make quick reads. LaMelo thrives in that situation so for that to work you need players who if you pass them the ball and they have a half step advantage they create a full step advantage and then move the ball again so that's i think what you're talking about when you talk about cleaning up the handle he needs to be able to make quick decisions in the half court because the more the ball finds Lamelo in those situations the better he is oh no doubt and and look he's he's i'm sure that they're telling him the same thing every day and they've got you know, for for a young player that people thought coming into the league is going to ultimately be a scorer in this league, on a team with a bunch of guys that are high volume shot takers, man. Sometimes, because you look at look at his shot attempts per game, 
based yeah. on his minutes, he's not getting like a ton of shots. And so that's another thing, you know, is he going to be able to advance to the point where he can feed himself a little bit more? Because right now that's not really the case. And he'll give it up after a dribble or two if he senses traffic. Um, and then guess what? The next guy that he gives it to is going to get a shot up. So I think he's going to start to realize that as time goes. They got some nice pieces, man. And they're so fun to watch because of LaMelo. It's like almost like Charlotte's playing. You're never going to get cheated no matter what their record is because of the of the number of plays he makes where you just kind of like, wow, did you see that? Um, now it's a matter of like looking more like a winning basketball team. And that's the one thing that Charlotte kind of lacks right now. And, and yeah. in the Eastern Conference, there's room, I think, to grab that next tier for them. It's not like the West, man, where there's like 11, 12 really interesting teams. There's not that many teams like that in the East. And there's, there's some room to grab for them. Um, if they can get a little bit more consistent. Hope it happens, man, because they're fun to watch. They're more fun than some of the teams, uh, you know, ahead of them, at least in my opinion, to watch. So I would not mind them turning out to be a good team, but I'm not holding my breath, to be honest with you. Four and nine right now. We'll see what happens. They might be more of a team of the future. Let's go in now to some more of our comparisons here. So yesterday we started, I started asking Legler who he would rather build around between two stars that are somewhat comparable. And really it's an exercise to talk about roster building and the challenges of certain types of skill sets. Today we have a fun one because the skill sets are pretty different. And that is Paolo Bancaro or uh, Shangun. Who would you rather build your, your team around, Shangun or Bancaro? Now you look at the numbers here, Shangun's actually leading surprisingly in points. I mean, usually that would be the one you would think Bancaro is, but he's up to 20 points a game is 19 for Bancaro, then obviously the rebounding and assisting in his favor. What do you see out of these two guys? Well, I really like both of them. And, and Bancaro, you know, he was the guy coming out that I said is most NBA ready from day one, and that's that's proven to be the case. Um, he's just so solidly built, very skilled. He's going to continue to add to his game as he gets more confident. Shingun is fascinating because there aren't many guys on the planet that kind of play like he does. He's very unique. We we talked about him earlier um, about a comparison to Jokic just in terms of stylistically, and that's the guy that I think he models himself after, and there's a lot of that in there. Um, he does a good job of modeling it. There's a handful of players that model after Jokic. Shangun does a good impression. He does, and so therefore, you're looking at these two guys, you say, which one ultimately has the chance to be more unique, therefore – leading to something that's harder to defend or something that you could build around a little bit easier. And that would be Shen Goon, right? That would be him because of his, his passing ability, his, his awkward shot making with the one legged stuff where he shoots like a set shot, one leg up in the air, right in your face, where you don't even know that he's looking at the basket. The, the uh, Turkish Dirk. That's it, man. So this is a really hard one for me because I think if you wanted to, if you wanted to pencil in like the surefire thing it with like steady growth, even though very incremental, I think year by year, that would be Bancaro. But there are a number of guys in the league that kind of look like Bancaro. There's not a lot of guys that look like Shen Goon, right? So I'm, I'm kind of tempted to go with the one that's more unique. I'm curious to get your thoughts and looking at the comparison between these two guys. I think this one is one of our tougher ones that we did. Yeah. Um, Bancaro is a really interesting player on a very flawed roster. I mean, Shangun last year, I think everybody would have said Bancaro last year. You get a new coach, yeah. you get a couple of new 
role players around Shangun. And by the way, they've kind of made him the fulcrum. They've, they've said, okay, we're going to build around your skill set. And now he looks a lot better. Bancaro is on a team that I think is very difficult because of how unbalanced their roster is. They have some great front court play and they have some good defenders uh, out at, at the guard spots, but they don't have a great table setter. So would Bancaro have a very steep learning curve, a steep growth curve if you gave him a more traditional backcourt and some better spacing? I, my hunch is yes. I like that Bancaro is more of a passer. You know, he's not just a scorer. He has some good, like, willingness to get off ball and to do different things. But I'm going to go ahead and say that I do think that this Shangun style, this Jokic style of basketball, is so valuable when you have a big who can be a decision maker. Because as you noted, there's very few bigs. There's, a, there's a, only so many bigs in the world. There's only so many seven-footers. And how many of them are smart enough and athletic enough to be able to guard the perimeter and be the fulcrum and, and the quarterback? This is part of what makes Jokic so special is you put oftentimes teams' anchor, but also one of their guys that is worst at di dictating how to guard the perimeter, you put them in the position to be the most vulnerable defensive player. So I think Shangun is going to have a similar thing, um, and, and I think I would give the slight edge to him. Uh, yeah, man, that's where I'm leaning. And, you know, looking at – just looking at a, a, a film package breakdown of him and the number of places on the floor he can catch it and be comfortable. You can run it through him at the top of the key with dribble handoff game. You can run it through him at the elbow and then get like some scissor cut game and he's, he's, he can find you. He can play with his back in the post and pretty much always get off a quality shot for himself if, if, if you're yeah. not going to come double. He's patient. He's getting better at that this year for sure. Definitely. and But he can also, from that spot in the low post, his back to the basket – throw these weird angled and awkward passes to cutters like that you don't even know how he saw the guy and he gets it there so i think you're right man i think ultimately having a big that can facilitate offense to that extent it i i would i would lean that way bankera is, is is a more polished and physical specimen you know there's no doubt about that shangu not the most athletic guy in the world but athletic enough for yeah. that spot but it's really about his ability to, to understand like where everybody else is on the floor and being comfortable no matter where he catches it, that helps an offense flow and, and continue through the clock, the shot clock, continue to, to progress and end up with something good at the end of it. He's like just that type of player. And they're very rare, very hard to find guys that play the center position that are equipped to do it and comfortable to do it. And he's one of them. This next one is is fun because it's so absurd. De'Aaron Fox or Jamal Murray? Now, if we look at the statistics at this one, it's it's pretty unanimous in the favor of De'Aaron Fox. He's averaging 32 points a game this year. Jamal Murray, 16. So literally double the amount of points, more rebounds, fewer assists. Murray's got the edge in assists. But here's the thing, Legs. Murray is so hard to quantify because we've seen him now multiple times in the playoffs and he looks like Michael Jordan. So he's the hardest player to quantify. How do you break down this matchup man oh man oh man this is tough because you know even stylistically a little bit different like like Jamal Murray can be an explosive scorer but he doesn't always have to play that way because you've got Jokic right, right? And, and and Jamal Murray is not their best player he's their second best player so right. the, and, and a lot of this conversation is I guess it depends for me if you want this guy to be your number two or your number one, I think De'Aaron Fox probably has a little bit yeah. more capability of being the number one, of being the guy that's the primary driving force offensively and a high-volume shot hunter. He could do that. 
and he's got nice complimentary pieces around him. Jamal Murray, I think if he were put in that role where he had to, you know, try to average 25, 30 points a game, I don't know that you'd like him as much as you do right now in the spot that he's in. So right. I think they're both where they're supposed to be. This is a really hard one, man. Jamal Murray's more accomplished because he's, he's obviously been on a team that won a championship. De'Aaron Fox is just trying to, you know, let me just win a series and, and see what I could do on the biggest stage. But I have no doubt that if the Kings were able you know, to win a first-round series and you get into a second-round matchup with one of these top-tier teams in the West, I think De'Aaron Fox is putting up monster numbers. I just don't think there's an answer for his quickness. I don't think you can game plan for his quickness. Um, yeah. So I'd probably go with De'Aaron Fox because I think his physical tools, mainly being that, just allow you to do so many things offensively. It makes up for so much when you have a guy that can just leave people behind him and find any gap to get into. And he's look, he's he's he can score from all three levels. He he can get to the rim, he can shoot mid-range, he can shoot deep. So I think I think I'd go with Fox. I, I'd lean that way because I think the upside might be a little bit higher. Even though Murray's been sensational, he's great in big games and he's a perfect complement to Jokic. I probably would go with, with Fox if I'm looking for actual ceiling. Man, Murray, just the way he plays in the playoffs and the way he played in the finals with all the pressure and against the Lakers and fourth quarters and this or that, like he's just done it so many times that it's so hard for me to pick almost anyone against him in those moments. But I will say that I think you phrased it right. De'Aaron Fox, more capable of being the number one. I'm always curious, though, players – accepting and fitting in like it's better to have a great number two than a bad number one <laughs> because it's yeah. so hard like can a guy go from that spot to a lower spot you never know darren fox i think a pretty unselfish player but you are right that he is suited to be that number one on that team and it's hard to envision him you know taking a back seat like if darren fox played with Jokic, do you think he would change his game in a way that's like no he's clearly the number two or do you think he would still be trying to attack as much as he does no, he, he look, he would probably still play that way, but it, we wouldn't be nearly as impactful because in terms of score, because Jokic has the ball so much and he's determining everything. Like everything's going yeah. through him. So, you know, one of the questions out there that, that we got here, one of the comments is like, you know, I guess thinking about them switching teams right. and what, what would that look like? And I think, I think Darren Fox has a pretty damn good chance of playing with Jokic and doing something special and still winning a championship. I don't know. Murray and Sabonis combination would be viewed the same way as we view Murray Jokic. I think De'Aaron mm -hmm. Fox, and here's the thing, De'Aaron Fox right now is playing with a big that does a lot of the same things on the perimeter with his dribble handoff stuff. Like they run so much stuff through Sabonis at the top of the key. He's so yeah. uh, crafty and clever with the way he holds the ball out to the side with one hand, lets one cutter go by. Or he'll, sometimes he'll drop it behind his back on a bounce pass when a guy's coming off. So Fox is used to playing with a guy that plays like that, and then you have the ultimate, you know, guy you can run it through, give it, get it back in Jokic. I think I think Fox would probably be a better player, even though he might not put up the same numbers. Yeah. All right, this last one I know is torture for you because I know you love both of these guys, but Anthony Edwards or Tyrese Maxey, both similar in age here, um, 22 for Anthony Edwards, 23 for Tyrese Maxey. You look at the statistical breakdown there, both right around 20. Actually, their numbers are pretty comparable when you go through, you know, line by line in terms of efficiency and just the raw volume. So where are you going here? If you had to start a team today around one of the guys, where are you going? Man, I'd have to go Anthony Edwards. And you know how much I love Maxie and, it, you know, I how, relieved, how relieved I was. I, I was saying it last year. Just give the guy the ball. 
and get Harden off the ball, get him out, get him off the floor, and let let's see what this guy is. And certainly going into the year when they allowed the Harden stuff to linger, and and he got off to that great start at the beginning of the year with Harden sitting at home, best thing that could have happened to him. And everybody now can see this guy is going to he's an all star, and he's going to be doing this for a long time. I love his his enthusiasm, his balance, his energy. He's unflappable with his confidence. But Anthony Edwards, because of, I guess, what he's able to do at his size, I think there's more there's more things to do. Like you can envision Anthony Edwards growing into a guy as the best player on his team, being, you know, first team all league eventually. He'll yeah. get MVP consideration maybe one one day down the road, assuming he has enough team success. Like you can picture that in in the way he plays. And we talked about this already about him. The thing I love about him more than anything, he's got a crazed look in his eye uh, yeah. of, of, right? he, of competitiveness. Yeah. The guy hates to lose even more than he likes to win. And I think he's obsessed with pushing the envelope on how far he can take his game. And I just think the physical prowess that he brings to it and his finishing ability and, and all of that, I think there's more ways that he can get you. And look, Maxi right now is playing with a an MVP. He's playing yeah. with this force of nature and it beats. So look, who knows, you know, to what extent that influences his effectiveness. Anthony Edwards is the best player on his team. He has made this his team, despite the fact he's playing with an uber-talented player, Carl Anthony Towns, who had the team before he got there. He took it from him. It's his team. And nobody doubts it. You know, as long as it beats there, no one's ever going to say this is Tyrese Maxey's team. So until he gets that opportunity, we're not going to know. But I already know about Anthony Edwards, what that looks like when you're top man on totem pole. He, this is what it looks like. Now he's just got to continue to get better and more efficient, challenge himself on both ends of the floor. But I think Anthony Edwards is, is special, and his competitiveness sets him apart. Vinny Goodwill of Yahoo Sports had an article up yesterday about how this next generation is is not waiting their turn. They're snatching it from the older generation, and I kind of agree with it. When you you think of like LeBron and Kevin Durant, Chris Paul and Steph Curry, the the, the class of the NBA, they've owned the NBA now for over a decade. But you look at how much talent there is from this young group, and I do wonder if this is a year where the young group, the Anthony Edwards, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Luka Doncic. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, you look at the Western Conference, that's four of your top five teams with the Nuggets who are still somewhat young, you know, as, as the other team there. I just wonder if this is a changing of the guards year where we look back and we say that was the year where the young guard surpassed the old guard and the old guard kind of, uh, you know, it, it, maybe it's over for them. I don't know. And maybe it's too early to say that. But when you look at the top of both conferences, Jason Tatum, Tyrese Maxey, uh, you know, on the other end, Anthony Edwards, those, these guys are all at the top. Completely agree with you. And I think another thing that we probably didn't give Anthony Edwards enough credit for here in this conversation, he is challenging himself more defensively, you know, game by game. He likes to take on the challenge of guarding the elite wings. Um, and that, that to me ultimately is what just, you know, emotes leader, leader, yeah. follow me, man. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you by example, how much I'm willing to lay on the line. I'm not going to worry about foul trouble, which might take me off the court, and I can't score as many points tonight because some guys play defense like that. They'll never put themselves in that position. Anthony Edwards isn't afraid to do that. Um, he's going to take on those challenges and continue to push himself on both ends. So he's he's special, man. And I think in the next 
you know, we never know because you don't know where these guys end up. How long is he going to stay in Minnesota? How long are they going to keep that team? Like, you don't know because the windows in this yeah. league are yeah. so tight. When you when you make a move like bringing in Gobert, like they're Conley, like you're going for it. So right. like, how how long how long did he keep that together before guys get dissatisfied or you know he starts to look around the league and goes, you know, what, I want to go pair up with this star player in this city. You don't know where Anthony Edwards will be in five years. It's impossible right. to predict that because guys bounce around so much now. Um, so we won't know, but I'm excited to see what how we view him even in two years' time. Is he going to be a, a, an MVP candidate and a first-team all-league type of player? I think he's got the potential to do that. They're 10-3 and three right now, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're at the top. They're the hottest team in the NBA at nine of their last ten games, and then the Thunder right behind them. So the young guard right now is streaking. Before we go in, so we're off for about a week here, Tim. We're not back till Monday. And I can't believe it because obviously the holidays, there are some big-time games while we're gone. And it starts tonight. So the in-season tournament, we have two teams that can clinch their pool and punch their ticket to the tournament uh, tonight. The first one is the Pacers play at the Hawks. So that's a tough game. If the Pacers win, though, they are in to the in-season tournament. That's a pretty big one. And then the Lakers are the other team. The Jazz are in L.A. to take on the Lakers. That one should, the Lakers should get that one. The Jazz are not too great. So the Lakers win, they will clinch. What do you think of the Pacers and Lakers as the champ, the teams that with the first opportunity to be to be in the tournament? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when the league put this together, they certainly were, you know, they're thinking about star power. So you know they were hoping <laughs> the Lakers would be in this position. I'm not sure anybody expected the Pacers to be yeah. in this position. They had a big win against Philly that kind of separated them and put – you know, right. they, they now control their own destiny. So Pacers are super interesting. And remember, LeBron said Tuesdays and Fridays, man, he's looking forward to it. This is a Tuesday night. So all these in-season in, in in tournament games are tonight um, and deciding matters. I'll tell you this, though, about the Pacers. Might not have been one of the teams the league expected or fans in general expected potentially be there in this, you know, in this, in this final eight. But – they're fun, man, and Tyrese Halliburton makes them fun, and their pace is off the charts, and uh, they would be a very difficult team to play. Now, there's a lot of people out there that think Minnesota, this is like the perfect setup for a team like Minnesota, right? Because yeah. you know, look at teams that, that have already played you know, deep into the postseason and, and won a championship, like if you're Denver. Like how much does it really mean to them when they're trying to maybe go back-to-back back and everything else? But some of these teams that are like had young talent, that haven't really had any taste of success in the postseason, you could see why something like this would be important to them to give them a little bit more self-confidence, a little bit more swagger. And Indiana, I think, is one of those teams. Yeah. is If the Pacers win tonight in Atlanta, and again, that's a very tough game. That's by no means a given. But if they win, that means the 76ers will have to compete for the wild card bid. They're in that group. They lost to the Pacers. So they would be a team that they play uh, at, uh, versus Cleveland tonight in Philadelphia. They would not only need to win that game, they would need to win by as many points as they can to kind of right. give them a, a chance, which is fun. You that's know, one of the storylines tonight. Yeah, that's an interesting one, man, because you think of it, that, that that format where you're going to pick two wild cards and it's going to be based on your record and then and then point differential. Point differential, But it's, yeah. pro, it's pro sports, man. It's like, are you going to run it up again? Yeah. You don't do that, right? It's not college football where these well, teams are trying to, get, trying to get votes. Like, it's, you know what I mean? So I'm really I curious know, to man. see. Does that play in, man? Where you and and could you imagine leaving on your star players on the court in a game when you're up eight, but you need to win by eighteen? 
you know, with three minutes to go, like, I don't know, man. It's like, you know, well, it's, it's crazy. Well, legs, the one tonight to look at for that is Blazers at Suns. The Suns need to win and the Jazz, uh, if the Jazz, if the Suns win and the Jazz win tonight, the Suns would uh, then trigger a tiebreaker. If not, they're going to be in the wild card hunt. So almost certainly they're going to be in the wild card hunt. And right now, the Suns have a plus zero differential. So they're perfectly even. Whereas the Utah Jazz have a plus 19 differential. So they would need to win by more points tonight to get 19 points more than the Utah Jazz tonight. Effectively, they play the Portland Trailblazers, a not very good team. They need to win by 30 points tonight. So we might see a scenario tonight where Phoenix looks at it and goes, we're up. Being the fourth, send the dogs back out there because oh my, yeah, see, out. and this, and this, this would be fascinating because it goes against everything that's NBA protocol in terms of you know you got a thirty point lead going into the fourth quarter, you know typically those guys are done for the night, right? They start putting the ice packs on on the bench and the reserves get a chance, and because you know you're not blowing a thirty point lead in twelve minutes, but now you're thinking, man, if they if they let the reserves play and you only win the game by eighteen. Right? Look what you've done to yourself. I'm very curious to see if that matters to teams and if they changes their approach. How would you, if you were the coach, how would you handle? Let's say you're the Phoenix Suns. You're up by 20 points with about seven minutes to go, and you have Kevin Durant, who usually would check in right now. Are you checking him back into the game? No chance in that example because of his recent injury history. No right. way. And you're playing for something much bigger. Like when you added Bradley yeah. Beal, you got Durant Booker. You got one. If you don't win a championship, your season's a failure. And you've got, yeah. you know, Beal's been banged up. Durant has had a lot of injuries over the last few years. No way, man. I can't, I can't run him out there for some in-season tournament trying to get a point differential when I'm thinking about the postseason and winning something much bigger. Friday has more tournament games. The Pelicans are at the Clippers, and they could clinch a tourney berth on Friday. The Pelicans, another young team, so we might just have a bunch, like as you were mentioning, a bunch of young teams that want the confidence boost of winning something. So the Pelicans can do that against Los Angeles. I think that'll be a great game, and it has some big-time stakes. And then the Nuggets at the Rockets, same thing. They're playing for a wild card. Both of those teams are. And then the Kings at the Timberwolves, both are 3-0. and Kings and Timberwolves, to me, are like the same team. You know, they're both this really good team that are off to great starts that think they can jump up a level in the class. And both teams at 3-0, and so that will be for a, a bid to the tournament. Only one can make it there. I think that'll be a great one. So yeah, I, love that, I love it. When, uh, when is the Kings-Timberwolves game? Friday. That's Friday. Friday. So that one will be for a ticket to the tournament, and that'll be a huge oh, game. Oh, man. And, and that's, that's again, that's the two teams like I just described. Like, yep. they've, they've, they've been good, but they haven't really had any postseason success. So this is going to have a yeah. little bit more juice. Like I can see it being very meaningful to both of those teams to have an opportunity to be one of the teams that advances and maybe end up in the Final Four in Vegas. So that does it for this week, you guys. Um, real quick announcement. Legler's going to be over on Reddit. If you are a Redditor, Legler's going to be over there doing an AMA, Ask Me Anything, basically a mailbag. So if you wanted to ask him a direct question about your favorite player, your favorite team, or anything going on in the NBA, head on over to Reddit's NBA subreddit, and he'll be over there just about 10 minutes uh, answering your questions. Legs, hope you have a great holiday week off, and we're back next Monday. Same, Adam. Enjoy your holiday. Talk to you soon. Everybody hit that like button for us on the way out. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you Monday.
like the mayor. 